uh, a senior guy when I first started said, if you're gonna do one thing, try to focus on recruiting big four auditors to place into industry. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and today we're joined by Nate Zimmerman. Nate is a senior partner and executive recruiter at High Country Private Equity Search in Denver. With over a million dollars billed consecutively for the last two years and career billing surpassing 6.6 million, Nate has distinguished himself in the competitive world of recruiting with his relentless focus on putting the relationship before the transaction. I've met Nate in person twice. He's a super nice guy. And I know you're going to enjoy hearing his journey in becoming the youngest partner at High Country and the valuable lessons he's learned along the way. Nate, welcome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it, Mark. Fantastic. So listen, I've really enjoyed sitting next to you and Monty for dinner at the Pinnacle Conference in Savannah recently. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. And as you know, and many of our listeners know, Monty Mertz was on the podcast if you haven't already heard that, it's episode 59, How to Build a Multi-Million Dollar Team of Recruitment Rockstars. I guess you're one of the rock stars he was talking about. Yeah, we all do what we can here. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Things, things just happen. All right. Fantastic. So I'd love to dive into your origin story because I've already heard it when we, when we had dinner together, and I think it's, uh, it's a fun story. So your recruitment career began with a cold call. Could you tell the story of how you got into recruiting? Sure, yeah, I feel like I tell this this often, but um, yeah, I was at a, a bit of a crossroads in my career. Um, was living in New York, uh, was working in the sports industry, so sports marketing, had a great job, um, was enrolled in a fantastic graduate school program. And at the time was, was with uh, my girlfriend, now my wife, and you could tell just things weren't necessarily clicking. And, and felt like that was an important relationship and potentially my, my long-term person. And so just did a kind of full uh, evaluation kind of, of, of my life and what, what I was passionate about and so on and so forth. And yeah, I had always, um, I'd always been good at recruiting, whether it was, you know, raising money for nonprofits in college, um, all of the jobs that I'd had to date at that point, I'd actually recruited either successfully or sometimes unsuccessfully, but tried to recruit friends to the companies I was working at. And so, yeah, I said, okay, my wife, girlfriend at the time said we should move to Denver. I was like, okay, give give me a couple of weeks to, to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, and I narrowed down, you know, to a couple of, of choices and decided I, I wanted to be an executive recruiter and had a sense that a big national firm probably wasn't the, the best place for me in terms of, you know, personality and what I was suited for. So, um, found, I guess they did have the internet back then in 2013 and came across high country search group seemed like, um, seemed like a good place. And, and I don't know how, uh, cause I didn't have zoom info, but somehow or other, I got Monty's cell phone and, uh, and got him on the phone. And I think my pitch was, Hey man, listen, I, you know, I've never done recruiting, uh, but I'm moving to Denver. And if you don't hire me, it'll be the biggest mistake of your, your business life. And he's just was taken aback and said, okay, well, uh, we're, you know, we're not hiring, but seems like you got a little bit of game on the phone. You know, let's, let's chat, tell me more about yourself. And so we had, you know, we had a nice conversation. It was fairly cursory, but I, I remember at the end of it, he's you know, kind of said, well, look, we like, you know, what we pride ourselves on is our culture and 
you know, families, personal life. Tell me more about yourself outside of work. What do you enjoy? Uh, so I, I love to, you know, I cook and read and pa- really passionate about sports. You know, that's the industry I'm coming from. I play soccer. I love to run. He's like, oh, you like to run, huh? I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's like, okay, well, tell you what. Since you said you're going to be in Denver next week, why don't you meet me Tuesday morning, 930 Matthew Winter State, State Park. So I'm writing this down. Matthew Winter State Park too. It's like, awesome. I'll, you know, I'll see you there. Uh, and so, you know, then I go have to book a flight, right? Because of course I wasn't going to be in Denver next week. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's so, good. So I, I booked the flight. I had a buddy um, that I, I grew up with who happened to live there. And so came in, stayed with him. Next morning, I meet him at Matthew Winter State Park. Mind you, Matthew Winter State Park, this is, this is not Denver proper. This is sort of halfway up to the mountains. So uh, meet him in the parking lot and you know, shake hands and says, so you want to do four or eight miles? And I said, well, if, if I say four, is that going to hurt my chance at the job? And he said, no. <laughs> so we, we just start running and, and, uh, and chatting about life and business and the industry of recruiting. And, um, you know, adrenaline is just coursing through my veins, right? I mean, this, I'm coming from uh, sea level effectively. And, uh, so we had this great run and at the end of it, um, you know, I'm, drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm like, God, this is, this is awesome. He says, well, meet me tomorrow morning. We do a training every Wednesday, uh, 7 30 AM, just be at the office tomorrow morning. And so, you know, like I'm so green, I I brought a a suit, a nice suit and a tie and all this. So I show up Wednesday morning. Everybody's just like cockeyed looks at me like, who is this, you know, a-hole coming in with the suit. Uh, and, and I actually mark it's, it's Wednesday morning right now. Um, and we just finished our Wednesday morning training. So, you know, 10 and a half years later, talk about consistency as, as a big, you know, I think anybody in this industry will say it's a big part of your success needs to be consistency. We still do that training every Wednesday morning. The training has actually moved now to, to 8 a.m. It's not at 7.30 anymore, but did that training and um, spent some time with some other folks in the office. Um, Monty checked references and I walked out of the door that Wednesday with an offer and uh, and then sort of the next couple of weeks, just got myself moved out and was reading everything I could about recruiting. And I, I really went, I think there was a period of four or five days once I was moved out to Denver where I went into a coffee shop. And, and that's something we could talk about later, Mark, you know, some of the specific tactics that I employed early in my career to get ahead. But I remember just so vividly that the coffee shop was in, Monty's, you know, we have all these, these training tapes, which we still have access to and, and give to newbies, our rookies, but I did all the left coast stuff and then all the Danny Cahill stuff. So I was, I was ready, you know, whatever it was, August 21st, 2013, when I started, I came in guns blazing. I love that. That's a, hilarious. That's the, I've never and, heard, let's go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just going to add, and I don't want to get into every job I had, you know, prior, but you know, on one hand, I, I do wish I'd started recruiting right out of school because, you know, I'd be so much wealthier than I am today, but I'm richer in experience and relationships because of all the different jobs I've had. So I think, you know, anybody listening, if you're not loving, you know, what you're doing right now, take solace in the fact that there, there are little wins that you can build up and relationships that are, you know, um, if you do right by people and do right by yourself, it's all going to, it's all going to be paid forward, but absolutely um, nothing's ever wasted. You know, I think that makes me a, right. You can, you can, 
every experience, whether it's positive, negative, or or sort of neutral, you you can take something out of it that's going to serve you moving forward, right? And uh, but what's interesting. Nate is, well, there's a couple of things. That's the first time I've heard of someone doing a first interview while running four miles um, at altitude. <laughs> that's uh, that's awesome. Um, second takeaway there, and I hope our owners are all taking note that, because I tell all of our coaching clients that they should run weekly workshops. And they're like, ah, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. And I'm like, I'm telling you, like doing training once a month or sporadically is not enough. Like you can almost not do too much training and you guys are all, you know, super achievers and high billers, and you're still doing those weekly workshops consistently every week. So I, I love that. Um, but you kind of skimmed over, like, why did you settle on executive search out of everything you could do? What was it that it kind of attracted you or, or what did you think it was going to be? I, I think, and, and I don't know if it's in equal parts, but look, let's let's not BS. I mean, money sure is a, a primary concern. I, mm -hmm. I heard you could you could do well, um, and you know, I was working in an industry that did have kind of odd hours, event driven. Uh, so you're you are not to a large extent your schedule was not under your control. So knowing that it potentially would afford me more. Uh, synergy with my lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the, you know, making a difference. Mm -hmm. um, certainly still like I get up and and that's a big part of it. Like mm -hmm. I'm proud to do what I do. I add value. I contribute to the economy. So again, and no, uh, that's not, those aren't force ranked, but, but those were, and I, and look, I knew I would be successful. I was always, you know, either typically number one in whatever kind of sales category, whatever it was that I was doing. And so, yeah, you know, I just I wanted I wanted to do a more of a straight sales role than than I was uh, in at the time. So. Fantastic! Yeah, no that that is awesome. So you started to talk about, and I'd like to get into talking about work ethic. I know you believe in the importance of investing time and effort to develop your skills and and accelerate your career, especially at the outset of your recruitment career. Could you give an example or a story that? you know, from your own career of how you've really put in the work early on? Yeah, I think prior to talking about any any sort of direct job, like knowing knowing the underlying like basics, the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. So that's what I focused on initially, like, you know, how to how to recruit people, right? How, you know, how to interview people how to take a job order, how to, you know, try to get a job order. Those, those things you got to put in the time and effort and that's through training. But then honestly making use, I think the biggest key to my early success was just making use of time, like not nine to five. So, you know, if you're trying to, to build up a, a full desk and get new clients, like researching after hours, who are the companies I want to go after? And then building your, at the time it was like, a, you know, building a phone tree really, mm -hmm. uh, who are all the line managers in a given company. And then, you know, when you show up at the office, that's just, and this is 101 stuff, Mark, but that's not the time to do that sort of research. Right. So I, I, you know, initially it wasn't as much like the late nights. I mean, yeah, I'd work, you know, till seven, maybe eight, but on the weekends, like 
spend two to three hours, you know, Saturday and Sunday every weekend for the first couple of years you're in this industry um, doing that, that just really basic research. And it's, it's contributing long-term to your market mastery. Mm -hmm. So nothing, every hour that you're spending, I promise you, and especially if you're inputting your data correctly, like it's all going to pay dividends. And just too many people come in without a plan earlier in their career. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's deadly because it's a really tough job. Absolutely. hundred percent. It is a tough job. And so paint a picture then of what that would entail. Like what were the sort of, what was the, the sort of daily uh, itinerary, you know, in terms of doing that research and, and preparing yourself for the, for the next day. Right. I mean, I, I think some people have different philosophies that my, my go-to, you know, always would be to market in the morning. So, mm -hmm. you know, planning, whether it's, you know, just looking at, at job boards and seeing who's hiring and mm -hmm. trying to call those hiring managers, typically not, not the best way as a, you know, as a new person. Now, if you have a candidate, that's a different story in MPCing, but, um, you know, I would, I always, I'm a believer in quality. So it's not like, trying to market to, for me, it was never trying to market to a hundred companies. It was saying, okay, these are the 10 or so groups that are in the discipline that I want to play in mm. and just really tr trying to focus on getting just one of those. If you, if you can land, you know, a quarter, one good client, uh, you know, and showing that you've taken time to learn their business marketing, you know, candidates that are going to resonate with that firm to them directly. Um, so it was a bit more, again, a bit more uh, quality, high touch mm -hmm. in terms of how I went about building my desk. Um, okay. And, uh, and yeah, it, it worked out. And uh, so it's interesting because we call that the Dream 100 strategy, which is a term I got from a sales trainer called Chet Holmes, where you identify who are the ideal clients in your space, the ones that you're, that have the most potential, um, based on the, the parameters that you're, you're looking for and really going the, you know, above and beyond making a huge effort. It's more, it's not just call them once, but it's a really a sales and marketing campaign over time to get into those accounts. And out of a hundred, well, the hundred is a nominal number. You said 10, like, let's focus on 10. And these are the sort of opportunities that even if you got one, that would be a significant win. And if you get two or three, then, you know, you're, you're well on your, on your way. Um, in terms of becoming the youngest partner at High Country Search Group, I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenal achievement. Can you tell us more about that journey, Nate, and what it really took to achieve that? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're High Country Search Group is made up of a, a few different divisions. We have a, a staffing group um, that does, you know, temporary admin contract, even some high level contract roles. We've got a, a finance and accounting group. That was the group that I started in. We have an oil and gas group and a, a technology group. And so, independent of whichever division you're in, the the parameters for for partnership are the same. We don't need to get too far into that. But you know, you've got to you've got to bill. Uh, a certain amount, you know, uh, consistently for three out of five years, and you have been at the firm for five years. So, very black and white, and that's consistency. Is uh, you know, you know what you get at High Country, and that that'll never change. So, uh, early on, that was a you know, I think that's a goal of everybody who comes here, 
Uh, and I think in my first year, you know, whatever it was here for four months, build X amount, um, you know, and then next year just focused on getting to Mexico, right. Our, our awards trip and that's billing 300. Um, and then, you know, the next goal is to qualify for that partnership level, which is billing 400 K that, you know, that, that consistently 400 K three out of five years, having been in the firm five years. And so I think I, I did that in my second full year and then just never looked back. Um, and f- to be honest, Mark, um, and I think this has become in vogue with um, James Clear and sort of talking about habit formation, yep. but I've in, innately, like I have never focused on a number for a goal. It's always just been about the process for mm. me. So that, you know, talking about putting in that extra time and that's always been my process to, to kind of come a little bit more prepared. Um, clearly I like nobody's perfect at this, but that, you know, of course I wanted to hit that, that 300 to get to Mexico. I then never thought again about billing 300 K it was what's the next thing. The next thing is 400 because that's what you have to build to qualify for partnership. And then after billing 400 in my second full year, I never, I never thought about that. You know, I always knew I was going to bill over 400. Okay. Let's, let's double click on this, Nate, because so most of our listeners probably know I'm a huge fan of Atomic Habits by James Clear. And something that James Clear said, which I thought was interesting, I do believe in setting goals. And I think there's value in having a vision that you're moving towards and knowing exactly what you want. But um, James Clear says, you know, if setting goals in and of itself was enough, then everybody would be a millionaire, right? Because it's not enough just to have something that you want. Uh, what's more important is, so that's an outcome goal, but it's more important to focus on what's the process to getting there and focus on the process goals. So how did you, like, what was the process that you focused on in order to, you know, put yourself um, on track to achieve, achieve those milestones for the Mexico trip and then, you know, making partner. So I'd, I, if I had to pinpoint one thing, you know, initially in my career, I started in our, our finance and accounting group and uh, a senior guy, when I first started said, if you're going to do one thing, try to focus on recruiting big four auditors to place into industry. And yeah, he was a very successful guy, still is. And so that was all I did. I was mm-hmm. I was a freaking bulldog. All I did was go after recruiting these big four auditors. And I recruited more big four auditors <laughs> than anybody in Denver. I mean, I would <laughs> at any point in time, uh, yeah, th- this is sort of like the glory day of glory days of this. But at any point in time, I'd have four or five, you know, two, three, four year candidates ready to go. I'd have, I'd have, you know, I'd be sending these candidates out to like five, six different jobs of other people in my firm, you know, I'd be covering all their jobs. And, and interestingly, it was so that um, I'd say the first three, four years of my career, that's the only sort of candidate I recruited, which, um, you know, fortuitously actually led me to, to becoming more of a specialist and, you know, ultimately breaking off and, and starting my own group was because of the many of the auditors that I was recruiting happened to be specialized in auditing a certain type of client. And so um, not only did it, you know, I had the immediate, you know, success of creating enough billings to go to Mexico and then qualifying for, for partnership, but it also, you know, that dedication led me down to the path of um, finding 
a niche that I was, you know, more passionate about and have carried on now to this day. Attention business owners and recruitment managers. Do you want to level up your team's performance but lack the bandwidth to train them yourself? Then why not let us do it for you? Recruitment Mastery Blueprint is a comprehensive 12-week program that provides your recruiters with the specialized training they need to be successful. We'll help your recruiters to accelerate their development and maximize their billings. The 12-week program covers the full 360 degrees in three phases, candidate sourcing excellence, placement process mastery, and business development brilliance. Your team members will work directly with our expert recruitment coaches, Leanne Jones-Hunt and Julie McGrath, who have 28 years collective recruitment experience. Both Leanne and Julie have trained their own teams as billing managers and run their own recruitment businesses. Your team will attend live weekly workshops via Zoom, which are highly interactive. Plus, they'll have access to the modules via our e-learning platform 24-7. We also set weekly assignments, we critique your candidate and client email campaigns and LinkedIn outreach messages. We'll also show your team members how to integrate AI tools to save time and increase productivity. They'll probably be teaching you a thing or two by the end of this program. Your team will level up their skills, boost their confidence, and become more self-sufficient so they require less hand-holding from you, the owner. Invest in your team's development today with Recruitment Mastery Blueprint. Our next cohort starts on Monday, the 15th of January, 2024. To learn more and to register, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash blueprint. Once again, that's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash blueprint. Okay, that's interesting. So one success factor was having a very, being very focused really on a niche and having a, a very clear strategy as to what you're going to do. You're taking big four auditors and placing them in industry. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, and, and you, as you self-described bulldog, so that's what you've really just focused on, on doing. And then that led you ultimately to even niching further, which we're going to yeah, we'll talk yeah, about later. And get, getting back to that process, mm -hmm. you, you know, if, whatever your niche is, if you have a great candidate, stop everything you're doing. Like don't like literally turn your phone off write a great MPC script, mm -hmm. find 20, 30, 40 hiring managers that you know whether or not they're hiring right now, that that candidate, if, if presented with that candidate, they're at least going to stop, read the email and say, this person, whoever sent me the email, they know what I'm interested in. They know that this will resonate. They took the time. And even if, if they don't, if they don't respond, that's okay because they're seeing that, you know, what you're doing yeah. and then, you know, call them two weeks later and say, Hey, I, you know, I, I get it. You're probably not hiring. You saw my email though. Right. Like I want your business. Like I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. Give me a shot. Uh, and so that's what I would do with those big four candidates. I, I mean, just, you know, brings back fond memories <laughs> just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And so listen, let's get tactical for a minute because, and do you still, use NBC marketing as one of the pillars of your no, practice? No, I don't, okay. I don't, but I'm going to get back to it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, so yeah. why don't you? Uh, it, this is not an excuse. This is just me being, having been busy and, and not, you know, having a growth mindset as much and being fortunate, you know, in, in somewhat of a down market right now, you know, with interest rates being high, transaction volume being down across the board, whatever industry you're in. Um, but having good job orders over the last two years, 
um, and having grown through referral, the emphasis on new business development um, outside of referrals has been almost nil. Uh, but that is that is definitely changing heading into next year. Right, you know, much more of a growth growth mindset. And excited Excellent. about you know getting back to to that side of the business. Yeah, no, absolutely. So MPC marketing is something that is one of many strategies that that we teach in our program, and and it's um, our methodology is very systematic. So it is, it's more of a campaign. So you'd have a, a, what I liked about what you said is if you have a true, I think the mistake a lot of people make is they think they have an NPC, but it's not really an MP. It's not a true NPC, right? Uh, it's, it's, you know, there's a difference between a good person who's placeable. If you had the right opportunity and someone who's people will feel stupid, not interviewing because they're so good. They almost can't you know, say no to that uh, person. That's and, right. And then right, asking the candidate the right questions to uncover their, you know, quantifiable achievements and where they're really going to add measurable value. And then, as you said, creating a really good script for that person and then being very targeted in the hiring managers that you're representing that individual to, uh, but then just being super persistent. So we would typically use three to five email sequence, um, possibly some personalized videos in there, you know, possibly some follow-up telephone calls to, you know, so that there's multiple touch points for, uh, you know, for that candidate with each prospect company. And as you said, even if they're not hiring right now and they can't take your candidate, at least they know the quality of the person that you have access to and that you specialize in that area and, you know, that you know the industry and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's a great, and plus you're using up your, you know, it could be a silver medalist from another search. You know, the client could only hire one person. The other person was pretty much equally as good. Um, it just seems like wasteful to not place them, right? You've already done the hard work to recruit them. How can we just make more revenue with, you know, the the inventory you've already, already got? But um, sorry for that little, uh, soapbox moment, Nate. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, your show. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so listen, um, billing a million dollars for the first time. Tell me about that. Oof. Uh, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Ta- paint, uh, paint a picture like as in the first person, like, where are you? What's, what, what, what's going on around you? Like that moment when you're like it, you realize that you've you've achieved that goal. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't remember the where I was, you know, sort of deal. I I knew I was tracking towards it and it was I think it was in hand before it happened. It, it came right down to the wire. I mean, I you know, it was like a $1000 something over. Um, but it, there was a sense of accomplishment and then, you know, like okay, you know, what what's what's next? Um, but, you know, nothing too crazy. I think we, <laughs> we think yeah. we went out and did okay. a nice, nice dinner or something like that. All right, awesome. So at least you said you had a celebratory dinner, so that's cool. What? Um, so, well, okay, I think it's worth just reflecting on this because <clears throat> sometimes, like people often will almost fantasize about a particular goal and imagine how 
thrilling and how awesome it would be to achieve that. But the way you're describing it was almost like, oh, okay, well, I guess I did it. So what, what am I doing next? Like, was there, how long did this sort of that high last for before you were thinking about, okay, now I need to go back to work and well, certainly, I mean, it, it came, you know, over the the holiday break, you know, kind of the the Thanksgiving to, to Hanukkah Christmas period. And so there certainly that is a time to reflect and, yeah. you know, take stock and, and celebrate that win, no doubt. Um, you know, my wife comes from a big family that loves to celebrate Christmas. So being down there with her and, you know, it's it's lovely, right? But, um, you know, if you look around at the, the, the company that we keep, you know, with, with the Pinnacle Society and millions, not such a big deal there. So that's why you got to, you know, kind of, Hey, what, what's next. Right. Fantastic. So then what we've talked about, like your discipline when it comes to planning, researching companies that you want to break into focusing in on a, on a niche, um, mastering your craft, reading, training, doing internal, like your weekly training and so on. Uh, we've talked about NPC marketing, what were some of the other thinking about the 80-20 principle, Nate? Like, what do you think are the biggest factors that allowed you to go from 400 to a million? Because that's a huge 400 already is excellent. And that's another huge jump. So what's the difference in strategy and activity and mindset between 400 and a million? Well, you look, you have to every year. Um, and this is something that I didn't realize that I was uh, subconsciously, I guess I must've been making an effort to do it. You have to get a, a good new client every year. You know, if you, I don't know if you were talking about the 80, 20, you know, 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. But if, if, if that stays, if that ratio doesn't change, I don't think it's tenable long-term. Mm. So you, you always have to figure out, okay, who's going to be my, my honey pot next year. And if, if it's your same, if your same client is your best client multiple years in a row, I can assure you that's, that's not going to continue. Right. Exactly. Like, that the, can't last the forever. Stop right? <laughs> yeah. So that, that was a big thing. And I, uh, you know, frankly, a lot of that did come through referrals. I was very fortunate, but I've gotten to a point now where I'm realizing that, Hey, that luck, that it's not forever. So you're going to have to go out, Nate, you're going to go out and like make that luck next year. Like go get that next big client. Don't wait for, you know, one of your clients that you're, you're doing such a great job for and you deserve those referrals, but that doesn't mean they're going to come. Yes, exactly. The referrals are awesome, but you can't, you have no control over them, right? That's the thing. It's None. not like you can just turn on a faucet when you need more business. Um, so yeah, 80, 20 applies to a variety of things. You're right. It, it applies to the principle that most companies, 80% of the revenue comes from 20% of their customers. But I was thinking more in terms of your time and energy, like what are the 20% type of activities or strategies that generate 80% of your results? Uh, doing a great job recruiting. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think is absolutely key because if, if you're not, if you're not finding the absolute best candidates, you're not going to fill the role. And most importantly, you're not going to wow the client. Mm -hmm. So, and I think if you were to talk to any of my, you know, longer kind of tenured clients, they would say like, 
hey, we've never worked with a recruiter that does a, a better job than they. And of course, as, as you mentioned, focusing on that relationship first, like going, taking the time before I'll do a search, I've got to see their office. You know, I don't mm-hmm. care if that means hopping on a flight. You know, of course, if, if I'm going to go through that um, effort, I expect it to be, you know, retained or, or to take a, a performance deposit, something along those lines. But, you know, putting in the, the effort on the front end to get to, to know the client and then just unbelievable job on recruiting, you know, finding the best candidates um, and then living inside their head, right? What, can you say more about that? What do you mean living inside their head? Yeah, like like the, the the client doesn't pay us to to find a resume and send it. it. It pays us to like, you know, to get inside their head and live there and deliver them across the finish line. I'm still to understand, yeah. you know, their motivations, yeah. their family, you know, what yeah. where where do they want to be in five years? That's always the most important question. Yeah. I tell I tell candidates, look, I you know, it's my job to give you an option. And then it's it's your job to decide if that option is is right for you to take. And yeah. of course, like there's a you know, there's a bit of a song and a dance there and playing a game, but it's it's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't, and especially in what I do, like most of the candidates I work with are are smarter than I am. So it's not like I'm going to trick them into taking a job, <laughs> but I want I just want them to feel like I've got their you know their best interests at heart. Yes. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there, and, and I do want to talk about your philosophy. Uh, I think is is uh, is really cool relationship before tr- the transaction. So, before we dive into that, though, get inside their head and live there. That's a great way of putting it. I hadn't heard that particular expression before, but I I get what you're saying, and uh, I think that is ultimately where the best recruiters are going to be able to continue to differentiate themselves because. You know, we, my team and I are doing are are offering a course in uh, in the first quarter next year on AI powered recruiting, and I believe AI is going to take over a lot of the things that recruiters currently spend time doing. But the thing that you know, uh, artificial intelligence can't do is what you said: get inside the candidate's head and live there. You know, get people across the line. The high touch things that require empathy. Uh, you know, deep connection and really understanding what's most important to people and being able to marry those up with what your client is looking for. Um, that's that's where the client still needs us to perform that function, right? Um, do you have any thoughts about that? No. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I try pretty much, if any, if any vendor comes and pitches me, you know, some new software. I pretty much try them all. I think I've tried all of the AI tools that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not ready for prime time. I don't disagree with you that they they will uh, ultimately do a lot of sourcing. I don't see it. Uh, I don't see it competing with manual sourcing right now today. Um, but to your point, I don't think it'll ever um, get get to, to to be able to take a candidate through through the process. Yeah, as effectively now, maybe a hundred years, whatever we'll see. (laughs) I don't. Well, I don't think it's gonna be a hundred years because, like, it's is developing so fast. That's the crazy thing. It's a bit like, you know, if you think about um, 
the the birth of the internet and how far that's come and then smartphones it's going to be like that but instead of it being over 20 years from the original mobile phones to smartphones it's going to be more like the next 2 years uh you know experiencing that level of rapid change um but look c- coming to your relationship building philosophy relationship before transaction can you unpack that and explain where that comes from and and how it plays out in uh, in practice. I don't know where it comes from. I think I've always that's just been a, a characteristic of mine to um, have a, a really big, robust, and it takes effort in your personal life. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, calling you know people that you don't see regularly uh, to keep in touch. So I've always been good at that, and and having a really big, meaningful friend network, but, um, but then, you know, like it's harder to, it's, it's really, you know, to get a great client, it's a lot harder to get it than to keep it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, you know, to keep it is to keep the relationship, to keep that first and always keep the relationship in mind. Uh, and so, you know, if it's somebody you think you might like to have a friendship with outside work, of course you have to be very careful with that. And, um, you know, ethically you're going to do it responsibly, but, um, uh, Taking the time, as I said, as simple as saying, "Hey, this this search sounds awesome," I, you know, I'm your guy. But before we talk to a candidate, like I have to be able to to explain, you know, what the flooring's like, like you know, what what are you know, what's the desk setup, like what's the break room look like. Those those are things that might not sound that important, but you know, when you're truly competing for top talent, like you know, just sending a job description and you know, uh, a link to who the hiring manager is, that's not going to cut it nowadays. Awesome. And so it sounds like you are a natural kind of relationship builder and some of you, you work at, but, um, what are some, you know, practical, like things that you do to really cement those relationships, um, and in order to create value longer term? Yeah. I mean, look, anytime I make a, a placement, um, of course, if it's a new client, like taking that client out to, to a nice dinner or lunch, you know, it doesn't have to be overly extravagant, but, um, and sometimes you can't make it work and it, you know, if it's maybe just a happy hour or a breakfast, but yeah, there's gonna be times you can't make it work. But if you've, if you ask a, you know, multiple times and, and they say, Hey, you know, can't do it. It's still, that effort is there. Um, you know, drop, donuts off at their office if, if they can't get out. Um, so, and then on the candidate side, same thing, uh, always, always offer to, you know, um, to see them after they've started. You know, I, I think that is for whatever reason, recruiters often follow up with clients after placement, but for some reason, you know, after they place a candidate, they never reach out to them again, which I think is a huge mistake as far as, and a missed opportunity really, apart from just it being the, you know, best practice to ensure that sure. people are, are, you know, happy and set up for success in their, in their new, uh, new role. Um, have, has there been a, any time where there was a conflict between getting a deal done and looking after the relationship? Cause you've, you've prioritized those in that statement. When you say relationship before transaction, you're saying this before this, which suggests that those two things could sometimes be at odds with, with each other. Uh, yeah, nothing, nothing jumps out and comes to mind, uh, Mark. I mean, you know, the, 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 
the one thing I'll say is like, you know, we're all faced sometimes with dilemmas. Um, and so a candidate that I've placed, you know, at a client that maybe isn't so important to me long-term saying, Hey, you know, I, I heard you're working on this search. I'm not so happy, you know, and you kind of think about, you know, Hey, sorry, man, I, that's a client. And even though I haven't made a placement there in the last six months, you know, I have in the last 14 months or 16 months. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm here for you. If I can make an introduction, you know, that doesn't constitute any sort of a, a fee or things like that, yeah. you know, I, maybe I can think mm-hmm. about it, but you know, I, I really can't help you and I'm, I'm sorry. And, and they understand why. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, that's an interesting topic by itself off limits and, um, mm-hmm. you know, how you, because different recruiters have different <clears throat> policies, I guess, when it comes to what is an off limits company. Uh, but I think integrity requires you to be almost set those parameters up front and, and then communicate those parameters to, you know, clients and candidates you're working with and then, and then stay true to whatever you've agreed or, or, you know, set out to do rather than kind of make it up as you go along and, and make different decisions, you know, depending on how you're feeling on any, on any given day. But, uh, yeah, I respect that. Um, talk about your path to the niche that you currently specialize in because your 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 group is private equity search so how did you get from placing auditors to uh specializing in private equity yeah it just um was quite organic that uh a good portion of the initial auditors that i happened to recruit we're auditing real estate private equity funds here in Denver. There's, uh, you know, there was a, a group of four or five of uh, these funds. And mm-hmm. so, you know, these candidates would want to go work at, at, you know, folks like the, the, the companies they were auditing, um, you know, typically in, in accounting and finance capacities. Right. So I would market these candidates to, you know, to real estate funds uh, and, you know, had, had, couple of early wins doing that. Uh, and so same thing, like taking these, you know, controllers, directors of finance at these funds out to lunch and, um, you know, get more business. And then the next thing I knew they were saying, Hey, you know, can I introduce you to our, uh, you know, our SVP of investments, you know, he was wondering if you could help find an analyst. And so you start picking off these entry level investment roles at these real estate funds. And, you know, next thing I know, I'm, you know, getting higher level searches and, uh, and that, that sort of like organic, just here and there doing more, uh, kind of front of the house oriented positions, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of grew and grew. And then it was actually, uh, it was January of 2019 that, um, that we sort of had the brainchild to, to start a separate division that would focus on, uh, private equity investment oriented roles. At the time, it was really almost exclusively real estate. Um, I'd say over the last three years, that you know that has changed, and now we real estate is still the majority of what we do. I think it's about sixty five percent of my group's placements are with in real estate investment and development firms. Uh, but now we also have a you know burgeoning 
uh, middle market private equity practice. We do a little work with uh, asset managers, hedge funds, uh, places like that. So mm. uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic, and I think we're we're really the only truly um, private equity oriented search firm that's based in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a couple other competitors that we run into that that play in Denver, but that is a bit of our our calling card now. And um, we're able to provide our clients. You know, we we essentially serve as a conduit to to top tier talent in we'll call it more coastal markets. Uh, but we we try to identify candidates that have a genuine desire uh, and a narrative that they want to be in Denver. It's you know uh, it can be difficult to just say hey it's a great opportunity, but it's in Denver. The trick is finding those candidates who maybe grew up here, have family here, or more inclined towards the outdoors. And so that's our our value prop is being a Denver based shop uh, that provides our our clients access you know seamless access to um, to talent from anywhere. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example of their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. Got it. So your clients, you're placing people predominantly in the Denver market, but you might be recruiting nationally. Is that the idea? Abs- that's that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Pro- probably a, a, about fifteen to twenty percent of our placements are are relos. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and um, what's your kind of most effective shortcut for identifying those candidates who might be? Because you mentioned, like, did they go to school in Denver, or do they like the outdoors? What? I mean, obviously, you you know where people went to went to school. Referrals, on, okay. Yeah, it's it's referrals. It's just having done this now for five solid years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people we place will say, "Hey, I've got a buddy that you know really wants to get out to Denver," and, and you meet that person. It might be a couple years before you place them, but right. uh, of course, as you said, we can identify people who went to school in Colorado, yeah. you know, fairly easily. But it's more that that word of mouth that oh, there's this shop in Denver that you know, specializes in placing investment professionals in Denver. Yes. Have you, so we've got a client, totally different market, different location, but they actually really focus on uh, promoting their um, their city as a place to live. You know, it's in terms of quality of life, you know, um, 
the lifestyle you can get compared to a major market like New York or LA or something. So they actively like both on LinkedIn as well as in their email campaigns when they're reaching out to uh, to recruit for their clients locally, they really focus on selling the location as a big part of it. And uh, so then they almost don't need to, I mean, obviously it helps if someone has some connection or some tie to Denver already, but they probably cast a wider net and kind of like sell the location. Is that something that you've, you've done or? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. The, you know, the challenge becomes our, our clients are extra cognizant to the you know, fact that like, okay, maybe somebody just wants to come experience Denver for a couple of years and then, you know, they're not going to want to stay. Mm. So it's just, it's a, uh, a delicate balance that sure. you have to strike. Yeah. Yeah. I know that makes sense. We, we saw also in the States, you know, right at the beginning of COVID, there was a mad dash to cities like Denver. Yeah. So that's subsided substantially. Um, Fair enough. And by the way, shout out to Jenny at Apex Recruitment Group. You're the one I'm talking about. So you probably recognized yourself from, from that description. Um, Jenny, James, and Ryan at, at Apex. Um, so listen, um, you now are building a team as well, right? How many people are in your group, Nate? So there's three of us. Okay. Yeah, I've got two full desk recruiters that um, work alongside me. Okay, great. So I uh, I think being a billing manager is one of the toughest jobs in recruiting, right? Because you're, you still have to do everything that you did when you were just a recruiter looking after your own clients, your own desk. But now you also need to mentor coach, train, manage, develop, uh, multiple other people. How have you, uh, managed to navigate that and without, cause I, <clears throat> just to give some context to this question, there's obviously four possible outcomes here and I've seen all four of these play out. So option one obviously is the one which we're going for, which is you are able to maintain and continue, uh, the high level of performance that you you know, have your already established and you're able to help your team members to also achieve at a really high level. So that's what, of course, we we want. Now, I have seen scenarios where either the the manager continues achieving, but they leave their team members behind and their team members are struggling. I've also seen the flip side of that, which is the 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 group manager partner, almost over does it when it comes to trying to support their team and puts too, like almost too much emphasis on that and neglects their own billings. And so then the team members thrive, but they're you know, not performing as they, as they were before. And of course, the worst case scenario is, you know, you put a huge amount of effort in other people, they don't perform, but you don't perform either. Right. So how have you navigated that in order to make sure that everybody is performing at their best? starts with hiring great people that fit within both the larger culture of, of our company, but then the culture that I've developed, you know, for myself Mm. and my extension for the group I'm building. But then I'd say we sort of, uh, bifurcate the idea of the training. So, uh, as we talked about earlier, training is a big part of the high country search group writ large of our ethos. Mm -hmm. 
So a lot of the, um, we have a way of going about our business, the basic recruiting methodology mm -hmm. that we, we follow at High Country Search. So that training is done concurrent and even somewhat initial to like, okay, this is, this is what a senior investment analyst looks like. This is what a VP of asset management looks like. The, the really like the core of what we do is, is handled a little bit by the main infrastructure mm -hmm. at my company. Yeah. So that, that take care, that take care, takes care of itself. Um, and then, you know, both of my guys are, you know, super bright, um, you know, great people. They came to me with one had significant recruiting experience, one had none. Mm. Uh, and so it's just being smart to the fact that it's not, you know, it's not a one size fit all solution. Mm -hmm. Again, the basic, uh, the basic nuts and bolts that, you know, we get in terms of our methodology, I think that then carries over into my, my practice and then sh just kind of massaging a little bit and, you know, changing a, some word tracks. But then, uh, I think to, to be direct, like the six, a lot of our success has been because we've got these great clients where we focused first on the relationship and, you know, we get, even if, one year they're a huge client. The next year, maybe it's just a couple of placements, but we're getting, you know, repeat business every year from a lot of the same groups. And so we've been fortunate that we've had, you know, great jobs to work on. So it's it's not one answer of how to to continue to be successful. But I'll say I would not be as successful as I am without the two guys that work with me. And so that means something, right? Yeah. Like it's not I, I'm not just holding them up. Absolutely. They're, we're all, we're all helping each other. I love that. And a hundred percent, like hiring, I almost, you can't overstate how important it is that you have to hire the right people, which should be obvious considering the industry we're in. But, you know, I don't know. I, I see often people are struggling with their team members, aren't kind of getting there and having the right people just who are self-motivated and almost self-managing is uh, is so important. I know Monty is very um, selective about who gets to join High Country, right? And so I, I, I like that philosophy of if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. Kind of only bringing people on board who are going to um, be a, a, a net positive to the culture, to the overall performance that are going to add something rather than detract something. And then you also mentioned, of course, you've, you've built, uh, uh, your practice already. So you have repeat clients, uh, that, you know, means that your team members already have great quality jobs to work that's on. Right. That's, that's huge as well. So you've almost built the demand and you've hired fantastic people it's almost inevitable that you guys are going to make something happen, right? That's the idea. All right. Awesome. So, but Nate, um, you've made it sound as if everything you touch turns to gold. Like, have there been moments of doubt or adversity in your career where you've uh, really had uh, to dig deep to... Turn things of course, to, Mark. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is ten years in. I didn't bill a million until my 
you know, my eighth year. Right. Uh, and it's not, I'm not coasting by working 30 hours a week, man. There's, you know, it, it is not, uh, it's not everything. It's not the Midas touch. Um, that said, we're, I think right now we're, we're at an inflection point, you know, I, we're probably, you know, if, if a couple of, of offers get out this week that I think, well, we'll build just as much as we built last year, but very well could build less. And that, you know, that's not what I expected. I, I expected my group to hit 2 million this year and we're not going to do that. That was, that was my goal. I had a stretch goal of 2.2 million. We're certainly not going to hit that. Um, so no, this year was a setback. Now I'm framing it up as a huge win because, you know, the newer of the two recruiters I had took a, a you know, a, a important step, um, in, in, in his development. Um, so I think we're, you know, collectively as a group, we're much better positioned, but we've, we've got to, um, open up some new doors and get new clients or next year could be worse than this year. So, uh, by all means, it's, it's not, um, nothing is given in this world. Uh, and so we're focused next year, you know, trying to, uh, every, you know, every month go to a new city, you know, in the sort of mountain West, uh, region and, and go on a bit of a road show every month and, and get, you know, get meetings in person meetings. So, um, I, love I think that. check back with me. Yeah. This time next year and hopefully we'll have accomplished, you know, the goals that we set out to accomplish this year that we did not accomplish. And I'm not going to blame it, not going to blame it on the economy. Um, certainly it may have had an impact, but I believe, you know, uh, that it was my fault for not accomplishing what, what we wanted to. Well, the, the fact is it's, it, the market, I'm sure it was a, a, a huge factor. The, the thing is that we have no control over that, right? We can only control our own mindset you know, actions, behaviors. So could we just spend five minutes delving into that, Nate? Um, what's your approach? What's your mindset? You know, moving into 2024, what, what are you doing differently in order to, um, well, okay. Let, actually, let me ask the question differently. What did you learn from 2023? Um, not achieving what everything that you had hoped to initially. Uh, that there are people uh, that are getting job orders and clients that I am not, that I feel I would be a, you know, a, a better partner for XYZ company. So, and that just gets back to what I'm going to do differently. And that, and that is, put a much more concerted effort towards a formulaic marketing strategy. Awesome. So I like that. There's people, there's obviously people still getting jobs, right? And so somebody is placing those people, that should be us. Um, so then how do we achieve that? So we need to have a formulaic marketing strategy. And what does that look like? Uh, it's, it's coming together. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly have done the research in the, all the markets that we want to ultimately play in knowing who all the players are, mm -hmm. uh, and then going up a layer deeper and figuring out at, at, you know, specific companies who are the key people we want to be marketing towards. And then, you know, getting a, a campaign set up, we, we did, uh, did sign up for interstellar. So going to leverage, yep. Going to leverage that. 
um, and then potentially figure out some, uh, I don't know if that's going to be take place early 24, but maybe a, a little bit more SEO and some, some target markets potentially. Awesome. I like your roadshow idea. That's, um, fantastic. Like getting FaceTime with your clients is, I don't know why, like that, that's what we always used to do in the really olden days, but, uh, people don't seem to do it as much. So I think that could be a, a differentiator right there. Um, uh, the thing with interstellar is that's just the tool, right? It's really the strategy that sits behind that. And then the messaging, getting the messaging, right. Which is critical. Uh, interstellar is a great tool, but in and of itself, it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to, uh, turn things around. Um, so, you know, the messaging is super, super important as well as the overall, the overall strategy. So like we talked about NPC as a tactical way of, um, you know, giving you a campaign you could load up in interstellar, but what, uh, how about a podcast? Have you thought about, um, I, yeah, the, I love listening to podcasts <laughs> so much that, I, and I just don't like the the sound of my voice. Um, I'm sure a lot of people say that. They, that is so, I, that is absolutely a, an excuse because nobody likes the sound of their own voice. Everybody says the same thing. You just you get used to it. Yeah, it, I'm not ruling it out, but it's <laughs> the chances are slim slim to none. All right, so listen, you don't have to do a podcast, but what I'm what I'm saying is you need to. Um, do something that is big, right? For your industry to like set yourself above. If there's people getting orders that you guys didn't get, even though you're as good, if not better to those competitors, right? Then what we need to do is not just increase the quantity of messaging and send out interstellar campaigns. We want to like make a move that is big, think big and what, can we do to really dominate that market and be everywhere? So when you when you said systematic marketing campaign or methodical marketing, that's what I'm thinking is like what is the what is the big idea? And then you know let's execute on that through phone calls, interstellar, etc. Um, so I'd love to. We're out of time unfortunately because I'd love to discuss that more with you. But if you want to chat about it anytime, then let me know. Will do, man. It was a pleasure. I've been been looking forward to this. I've got to, uh, you know, enjoy your work. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Nate. Thank you. I've loved uh, our conversation, and yeah, it's a pleasure. I'll look forward to our next conversation. Have an awesome day. You bet. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.